The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Hi, this is Harry Margolis with the Ask Harry Podcast. We're here to answer your estate planning questions and hear from experts in the field. In this episode of Ask Harry, Harry talks with financial planner Lori Gervais on the subject of how to pass on values about money to your children. Hello, Lori. Uh, Lori Gervais. Thank you for coming back to the AskHarry.info podcast to talk about how families can really raise their children to uh, better better manage their finances and understand money. Thank you for having me. And so in our, our last discussion, we were talking about your book, which is called Pass It On, Transferring Wealth, Wisdom, and Financial Smarts to Future Generations. And in that discussion, we were really talking more about the the financial smarts part of the book. And in this discussion, I want to talk more about wealth, how to teach children to be stewards of family wealth. And of course, not all families have wealth or wealth can be lots of different sizes. But but why don't we talk about that first? What do you mean by wealth in terms of, of families having wealth to be stewards of? Well, it's twofold. In business, the bulk of clients whom we work with tend to have between two and 20 million in investable assets. So much of our experience is truly about managing wealth from generation to generation and building up that education within the next generation so that they keep it and maintain it and steward it well for the following generation. And then after that, and after that, that's what the true initiator of the wealth would like to see, whether it was that they grew it through a business or, or however they became successful. Well, let me and ask you a question about yeah, that. Because it's certainly going to be a big difference between people who kind of were successful and worked their whole lives and then they make it to their 60s or 80s and have accumulated some wealth and people who inherit the money. Mm-hmm. And my guess is, so that was what, what, when you're talking, made me think, have you observed any patterns in your practice of kind of, of your clients that are, and how they treat money, depending on whether basically they earned it or inherited it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that goes back to another yet again, reason why we wrote the book as we've seen many families do this very successfully in making sure that their kids steward it and they're very savvy with it for the next generation to, to build upon that foundation and grow even more so, both in their values and their finances. But we've also seen things not go so well, mm-hmm. where, where to your point, and I don't, have you ever heard the, the old Chinese proverb, shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve in three generations? Yes, I didn't know it was a Chinese proverb, but I definitely yeah, heard it. Yeah. It's, that is very accurate, where the, the first generation Somehow they built this wealth, they earned it. The next generation, they saw their parents working hard. So they did get it. They, they saw it through the modeling. They did understand, but they didn't educate the next generation. They, the next generation just saw their parents lived with wealth. And so the third generation lives in ball gowns and, and tuxedos and just spends it frivolously away. And then you're back to square one again. And the next generation has to you know, start with plowing the fields again or whatever you want to call it. That's what the old Chinese proverb is getting at. 
And so, what, how, so how do you avoid that uh, what yeah, happened to the third generation? Exactly. And well, that's a good segue because that's exactly where we're going with the book is I don't think anybody wants that, do they? Don't they? In our experience with clients, they don't want to see this just frittered away and then having to start over again. Typically, that first generation who built the wealth, they want to see the next generation go to college. And then the next generation after that, not only go to college, but also get a master's. And then the next generation after that, they didn't have to go to what might be gleaned as a mediocre school. They get to go to an even, you know, just keep building upon, you know, that foundation, helping the future generations become successful. And some, some of which we talked about last time on the show about getting that family vision going and the family values, if you will. But I'll also expand upon that and say, when it comes to families of wealth, making sure that you're sharing stories of how that wealth was built mm -hmm. or the hard times you had to go through. Because back to that proverb, that third generation, that grandchild, they just see you living with wealth. They don't realize how hard it is. They don't, it's not their fault necessarily. They, they just don't get it. So you do want to make sure you're driving back to the property where your grandpa built the business and this is where it all started and this is what he had to do and he had to work these late nights and mom sewed your clothes and you just, you want to share those stories so that the kids or grandkids or great grandkids realize it doesn't just come off trees, first mm -hmm. of all. And they understand that, but then that they cherish what they did receive even more so because when they do understand that grandpa or grandma or whoever this was built and whether it's 1 million or 20 million or 50 million or even a hundred thousand, I, I talk about our experience because of the wealth level of the clients we work with, but this is really for any wealth level because whether you have a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred million, that's still a lot to you. That's something you worked hard for, whatever that dollar amount is. So making sure that the kids and grandkids and great grandkids hear all those stories and challenges. You don't want to make it all sound easy, but you want to see both sides of it. So then they truly cherish that and they'll want to protect. That's it. So this is the first step to the whole family steward. They'll want to protect that wealth if they know how hard these loved ones have worked for it. So that's part of it. That's foundational. But then, and, and maybe you're going to ask me this, maybe I'm jumping the gun, but then you get into more of the, okay, but how do you do all that? So, okay, so now what? You know, so while you're talking, what I was thinking, just the word steward, is there some concept that this is family money and not individual money? So that, so the idea is if you inherit the money, it's not that you inherit the money and you should do whatever you want with it. You're supposed to keep it around for the next and future generations. Absolutely. Because the first generation, look, they were successful. They could have blown it all and not given you a dime, right? Mm -hmm. But here they are. They didn't live to the high hogs. They did a little of each maybe, uh, but they saved a lot for the next generation and then the next generation after that. So they did this for you. So in turn, you should then do that for the next generation. Continue that and not be a spendthrift is essentially what we're trying to say. You should help that next generation just as you were helped mm -hmm. and have an impact on the family, on the community, whatever your family vision is there with the two of those things. But then you get into the layers of 
te like technicality. Okay, so how do we do that? We talked a lot about family stories, family vision. Now starting to have them manage the money themselves, teaching kids as teenagers and college age kids to have a budget and how to live off that. So I'll give I'll give you a few nuggets of okay, how do you start that? So right. okay, so so maybe you give them a hundred dollars for their uh, weekend hockey tournament that they have to manage. That's going to cover your food, your arcades, whatever. You're going to have to be responsible for that and, and make it happen. You you want to start things at these teenage years where the the rep you know the the challenges or what have you aren't that bad. You know what I mean? Right. That, that, that they'll survive if they run out of money by the end of this hockey tournament. Or they go to Target and they're in charge of, of running the, the shopping list or things like that to get going. But then once they get to college, having a budget, having them turn in a budget. This is what I'm spending, mom and dad. I know a lot of parents want to help. Maybe they pay for everything. Maybe they pay for some things. All families are different. There'll mm -hmm. be no, ju no judgment from me on that one. But in regard to help them learn how to budget and manage money when they're into their college age. So maybe not just give them a credit card and pay the bills, whatever they are. <laughs> right, right. Have them explain what they're spending their money on. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not that you're trying to be a jerky money micromanager parent. It's that you're trying to teach them to think about their purchases. If mom and dad is going to see what I'm purchasing, maybe I won't buy a, I don't know, Kate Spade purse or something. Maybe I'll buy something more reasonable since mom and dad are going to see this bill. You want them to be thinking like that and, and, and obviously gives you many moments to help corral them into logical spending. So you have all these years that you can do that and help build upon that, not only from your modeling, your conversations, your little snippets, your little mustard seeds of conversations of values, et cetera, over the years, but you can really help them manage money in deeper conversations at those ages so that when they, when they do go off and fly, maybe they get married, maybe they don't. Then they come to those ages where they don't really listen to mom and dad anymore. And so yeah, you want... That started at, at three for us. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's <laughs> true. But I think what you want is that you've built those foundational elements so that they, they look at their new fiance and say, huh, that's not how we manage money. And, mm -hmm. and, and that they're willing to have an open conversation about how they manage money and that they can interweave and take a little from each other, the, the two new fiancés, let's say, and talk about money. You know? so one, one, one question, I suppose, for people with real wealth is that they don't necessarily have to work. So for most of us, we have to work and, and so, so we're going to. It's kind of a given. Mm -hmm. But but if you come from a truly wealthy family, you may think it's important to work to for both for psychological reasons for yourself and to give perhaps to give back to society, but you don't need to financially. And I guess how do families talk about that? Well, I I think I think there's a couple angles there because one, if they, if you are talking about family vision and family values and you're showing your work ethic, even if you already have whatever that dollar amount is that's relatively wealthy, but you're still showing that you keep working, you keep having a passion, as you mentioned, giving your gifts back to society. You look at Warren Buffett's children, you, you look at other famous folks out there, their kids are still wildly successful and impactful on society, mm -hmm. but you keep doing it. 
And we're not even talking about that wealth level. I'm not, you know, Warren Buffett is an extreme. Right. That's but, you know, unusual, yeah. Yeah, but the more standard wealth, if you will, mm-hmm. folks who had a couple of hard-earned jobs and they've done well for themselves, but they no longer have to work. But if they've had these conversations of values and they've shown work ethic and modeling and the kids should, what ultimately will happen is over time, the kids are going to want to keep that going. And if you're talking verbally about being a family steward because grandpa did X, Y, Z or what have you, if you're having these stories and open dialogue, they're not going to want to sit by the wayside. Ideally, they're, they're going to want to give their gifts back to society. And I will say, and I've seen this with clients where they've been able to, in their case, go down a path that is impactful on society, but doesn't necessarily make a lot of money. And that is really neat. That is really mm-hmm. nice to see that they can, because unfortunately in society, there's, there's a lot of, there's many jobs that pay very well. And there's yep. many jobs that pay very little. Um, and, and they're not necessarily yeah. correlated to their value to no. Uh, society. No, very unfortunate. As we can see in this pandemic, the, it, the, the essential workers are not necessarily the highest paid workers. Exactly, exactly. And if you want to go off and do something where, let's say you're, this, you're a researcher, you're, you want to do something that's impactful, but it might not make a lot per year. When you are in a family, like you mentioned, that maybe has significant wealth, you know, that's what really is neat and powerful Mm -hmm. about this. If you've been a family steward, you can go do something powerful for society and then the finances won't be stressful. That's that's neat. But if you've built in them that framework of, again, wanting to continue giving back, just like grandma did, just like mom did, just like dad did, you know, you keep that going. Well, we're talking about about giving back, which uh, makes me think about charity and giving money away. And uh, you probably saw there was a recent uh, New York Times article about inheritors of uh, millennial inheritors of great wealth who who are giving most of their wealth away. Sounds mm-hmm. like the millennial generation is an interesting generation. I know that's not a topic for technically this overall podcast, but. That generation has, they, they are all about values. They're mm-hmm. all about their values and whatever that may be. That's a whole other podcast another day. But yes, I have seen many different articles surrounding that regarding millennials. Mm-hmm. So, but it's still, there are two different, I guess, ways to look at that. One is what do families teach their children and grandchildren and in that family vision about giving to charity if they've been successful? the article in the times was going even further saying, well, almost like these are ill-gotten gains and we should give them away due to the great inequality in the society. But let's talk about the first, what do your clients, what kind of, what do they think about charity and what do they teach their, their children and how do they teach their children about it? I think there's a wide variety, again, depending on the size and scope of wealth. And then, of course, depending on what each family's vision really is. But it can be as modest as just ensuring that the kids are witnessing that you're giving in the offering plate at church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. It can be that each fall you're talking about that tends to be the charitable giving time. Of course, you can do it year round, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe every fall you're picking a charity together, you're talking about it and deciding where to put your, either you 
put it together because they put their little 10% of their little mason jar. They give you their 10 bucks or, or whatever that is. But that they see that you're doing it and they're doing it. It can be via money and you choose together. Maybe you research together what to give to charity in the fall. But also giving of time as well, witnessing you actually working at the food pantry mm -hmm. or bringing someone food or an elderly aunt and uncle that's not technically called a charity, but in a, you know someone who's living alone and could really you know, bring them a, a Christmas wreath this season and it's just something to, they're not alone. Right. Um, so charity doesn't always have to be for a tax deduction and right. that kind of thing, but seeing yeah, right. you, do, you know, do as well as give dollars. But I mentioned the dollars because I think nowadays and within my family, so much is done electronically. The kids don't mm -hmm. always see it. Right. So you need to true. make sure you're talking about it to the extent you would like. I'll tell you, I don't tell my children the amount we donate. That's not really appropriate at these ages to be right. telling them that. Uh, but over time, that might be different for a family at different ages. But as long as they know we are doing it and talking about it now, say we're pulling our money with yours. And yep, okay, we decided my, my son wants to give to the homeless. So, okay, all right. I'm going to talk to him more about why he chose that, but I find that interesting. He came up with that on his own. I want to give to the homeless. Okay, let's do that. And you want to get them thinking about others, thinking about someone other than themselves, uh, for sure. So you can do it at little ages. You can do it up through the years. And our clients, some of them have family foundations where, of course, it starts when they're creeping and crawling, and then you go all the way up to the fact that the adults are working on the board of their foundation. Maybe even their grandkids start getting involved and choosing the charities and managing that. So it can go from the little piggy bank, let's donate and do our tithing and offering, all the way up to a family foundation. That, that sounds great. I, I like the idea of a family foundation, whether it's a, a full-fledged foundation or a donor-advised fund. Mm -hmm. um, to, to kind of, I guess, institutionalize the, the family giving money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And family foundation in your world and in my world is a formal, formal documents and filings and it can get pretty, pretty fancy, but you can just use that phrase and, mm -hmm. form, and formulate something simple to your point. You could just just do a donor advice fund. That's it's a lot simpler. You can even just through the small nature of just talking about where your family's giving money this year. Yeah. So it doesn't even have to be a big pressing documented special account. You could even just through conversation talk about where you're donating money this season, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we had my, my wife was talking to an old friend just yesterday which told us are, are kind of reflected different uh, levels of wealth because she and her husband are successful professionals and so are their daughters, one of whom was an obstetrician is pregnant and they wanted to visit her during the time of the, this pandemic uh, and do it safely. And the husband's brother is a fund manager at Fidelity, so he gave them the use of the uh, private jet in which he has a share to fly down to uh, Austin and back. So that's so so that's another interesting situation I think where they there are different levels of wealth within families. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in this case it was beneficial to our friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. They seem to get along and not resent <laughs> the brother with all this wealth, but but I, I bet that can create some difficulties within families too. 
Yes, certainly. And I think we, we all want anyone, anyone listening to the call that has children, we want them all to be successful. It doesn't always have to mean millions and millions of dollars of wealth, but you want them to be successful overall in happiness, mind, spirit, wealth, all of it. But yes, most often, actually, there's different wealth levels within families because people have chosen different career paths or Mm -hmm. have different ways that they choose to spend money. So that's no doubt going to be there, but hopefully not cause strife within within the family amongst family members. Yeah. So good. So thank you very much for this discussion about how to be stewards of family wealth and how to and make sure family wealth is stewarded past the first generation. I wonder if you could tell listeners, again, the name of your book and how people can find it and how they can find you. And I don't think I mentioned that you wrote the book and work with your husband, Roger. Yes. Yes. The two of us wrote the book together. So both a chartered financial analyst and a certified financial planner perspective. So you get a little of each in there, which is great. Uh, The book is called Pass It On, Transferring Wealth, Wisdom, and Financial Smarts to Future Generations. They can find it by going to our website, which is gervaiswealthmanagement.com. And that's G-E-R-V-A-I-S, wealthmanagement.com. On there, they can check out the book. They can even grab the Amazon link to buy it if they'd like. Uh, But they'd also see other nuggets of articles and different pieces to even expand on this conversation. We talk a lot about the personal wealth organizer and going to the next level of that stewarding of wealth and being organized with all that. Uh, We talk about that in the book uh, as well. So I think that would take this podcast to the next level also. Good. Thank you very much, Lori. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes.